0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whenever it is, wherever you are, and welcome to the Generation Sports Podcast. I'm Jeff Kennedy, along with Bill Lunkovich. Hey, now. Casey Everett. Hey. What's up, guys? Hey, another big week. Lots of things going on. It's a a
1: weird week, though, because we don't have one of our counterparts here today.
0: Yeah, yeah, Dave Zorn, he was overbooked. So, so I
1: don't blame him. So, so he, he, <laughs> That's okay. That's, we get to talk more.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. He was overbooked, so he had stuff to do, and so here we are. Uh, we'll be with you for the next forty-five minutes to an hour, and a lot of things to get to on this week's show. We're gonna get. We're gonna talk about our thoughts on impact rookies in Major League Baseball, especially for contending teams, and whether or not they're going to be able to handle the pressure of you know the late season, the last two weeks of the season, but more importantly. Once we get into the playoffs, of course, we'll get a playoff update. Stump the Unk, our weekly trivia segment where we all get an opportunity to get one past the knowledge of our genius friend here, Bill Hunkovic, And then we'll take a look back at NFL week one surprises. Of course, we all know what the big surprise, the big news is. One, Aaron Rodgers, college football, Texas versus Alabama. Who saw that coming? And the Colorado Buffaloes, listen. I know that there's still a whole bunch of people out there that want to say, yeah, but it's just two games. Okay, whatever. It's two games of excellence. we got to talk about that as well. Our Sports Through the Ages spotlight this week. I won't tell you what it is. That's a surprise because I got to do it. And then we'll have our betting with Bill. This is Bill's best bets of the week. We'll wrap things up with Sports Around the Mountain with Dave Zorn. And then our crunch time where each host gets about a minute to get whatever is on their mind or their chest off normally with quite a bit of passion, at least
1: when it's Casey or Dave. So, <laughs> We're so, waiting for you guys to get some more energy. You know? <laughs> waiting
0: for me to get fired up about yeah, something? I, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, all right. Well, I guess that could happen. Let's let's, let's start with uh, with baseball. Now, we know that the playoffs are right around the corner. You know, the Houston Astros – continue to play well. It seems like they're starting to get a little bit of a hold on the American League West over in the National League. You've got the Braves, who have been the best team all season. They continue to play like it. Baltimore is playing better than anybody else in the American League, and still nobody's talking about them. I mean, these are the things that are happening right now, but I don't really see a lot of big surprises down the stretch. I think we have a pretty good idea. Uh, What's going to happen? There's still a few things to be decided, right, in terms of wild card, but not really any big surprises at this point in the season.
2: The big teams are playing well, the Dodgers, the Braves, but the wild card's up for grabs. You know, Tampa Bay, they're they're, kind of safe. They've been there before, but Toronto's come out of nowhere the last month. Seattle and Texas, both, you know, they go on little mini winning streaks. In the American League West, I think all three teams are going to sneak in there. You know, it's still a little early. As soon as I jump on one team, another team starts doing well. Uh, the Astros, the Mariners, and the Rangers, all you need to do is get to the playoffs. Then anything can happen. Just see what Philadelphia did last year. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, we've seen more often than not that wild card teams make better runs than teams that have won their division. And that's just facts based on the past couple of years. We saw the Nationals be a wild card team, go to the World Series, win that. So I mean and then the Phillies last year we saw them they were a wild card team made the same run that the Nationals did didn't finish it off like the Nationals did but the AL or the NL East is one of those divisions that anybody can come out of that division and has a chance of winning a world championship so uh, it's going to be a fun playoff push down the stretch. I'm really excited to see you. I mean, even Miami's starting to play well again. Uh, it looks like they're fi- like Sandy Alcantara. Maybe he comes back into Cy Young form down the stretch and we see the Miami Marlins make that playoff run. But the Toronto Blue Jays as well, uh, those East teams, man, they're so good. It's ridiculous. They're like every single team is very good and I wouldn't be surprised to see one of them in the World Series.
0: Aren't you a West Coast guy?
1: I am. Like, what, what is, what's wrong with you? Kinda. I don't his his know that the teams are back east. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I am a I am from California, but I I can't deny like I'm a very unbiased sports fan. And seeing how the AL East has conducted itself this year, how the NL East has conducted itself this year, they're two powerhouses in the in Major League Baseball right now. And you can't deny that those two divisions mm. are easily the best divisions of baseball.
0: Well, yeah. As just a fan, I mean, when we take off our our Homer cap, you know, yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever team we're a Homer of, and we just look at it objectively. There's no question. ALEs, NLEs have been the class of, of baseball. All right, so so let's let's break it down a little bit further, and let's start with the National League rookies. You know, there have been a number of rookies cast into important roles in some cases prematurely, and have to perform. National League rookies, in your opinion, that are impact rookies, and whether or not if their team makes the playoffs, they will be able to sustain excellence or even be you know, effective enough to help their team get to the next level.
2: Well, I, I think you, you need to start with Corbin Carroll. Uh, and the Diamondbacks do still have an outside chance to make the playoffs. He's had a phenomenal rookie season. Um, 141 hits, 103 runs scored, 70 RBIs, 24 home runs, and 47 stolen bases. Our co-host partner, Dave, who's not here today, obviously... Uh, Says it's a mortal lock. But the the rookie that, and I've been talking about him the last couple of weeks, Ellie De La Cruz from Cincinnati. He's just 21. He's a switch hitting shortstop. The fastest person in the league. Hit a 448 foot home run in his first game. This guy's unbelievable. But we haven't even got to Baltimore and some of the other teams. Everybody in Baltimore's starting lineups under 25. And it's a different guy every night that seems to come through for him. But there's a lot of top guys. They're just, dying out a bit. You know, this is a lot of games for somebody that's not used to playing 162 games, but we'll see going forward. Absolutely. And I mean, sticking with the national
0: league for just a moment, there's no question. Corbin Carroll is, is the best rookie in the national league, probably the best rookie in all of baseball. Yeah.
1: And it was really close there for a second. Once the all-star break hit. And after the all-star break, when the Diamondbacks started to go downhill, he wasn't producing as much as he, he, we were accustomed to seeing during the first half of the year. But Ever since that slump, he's been able to turn it around. He's been that NL Rookie of the Year that we saw the first half of the season. So, in my opinion, no question that he's going to be the Rookie of the Year. There has been a lot of cool rookies this season. Like, like if you go through the Cincinnati Reds, they have three candidates on AL Rookie of the Year. They have Spencer Steer, Matt McClain, and Ellie De La Cruz. All those guys have had phenomenal seasons as rookies. But when you're going against a guy that has the 24 home runs, 47 stolen bases, the average, the hits, making that offense work for a team, that's when you're going to win Rookie of the Year. But we have to also give shout-outs to Kodai Senga, who's his first year from Japan. He's had a phenomenal season with the Mets. Unfortunately, he's on the Mets. So, I mean, this... Yeah, he's not going to be playing any playoff games. No, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, he, he
0: doesn't really get a mention here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, mean, I guess he's he He's had
1: does, a great year. He's but, had a great year. But, I mean, if... Things might be different if the Mets turned out to be the Mets that what they were supposed to be. He might have been closer to that Rookie of the Year, but since they're not even close, he's not going to win that Rookie of the Year.
0: Well, no, and and he shouldn't. And when we get to this point in the season, there's no longer any any how it should have been. Mm-hmm. It's it's it is what it is now. Yep, the season has turned. They played a lot of games. Okay, so the, these aren't flukes now in baseball. When you get to like you know 130 games, okay, that's you figured some stuff out or not, okay? So Yankees Mets, listen, they no longer have a place for mentions on on this show to to a degree because they haven't done anything and they're going to be fishing here in a couple of weeks. I want to go back to the Diamondbacks for a second. A couple of pitchers on the Diamondback squad that could make a difference if, well, certainly down the stretch, and then if they get into the playoffs. And it's Scott McGough and Ryan Nelson. These are two rookie pitchers that have made an impact already, will probably be counted on, you know, once we get into the playoffs. I want to go to your point, the the Reds. You talked about Ellie La Cruz, and you mentioned Matt McClain. He's probably, man, you know, if, if Corbin Carroll is the best rookie in baseball, he might number be close two second. is probably Matt McClain as a close second, and He's not the one
1: getting all the headlines.
2: Matt McClain, by the way, is um, born and raised in Orange, California, right next to Angel Stadium. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> but yeah. He played for the Forsters. My dad also played for the Forsters. All
0: right, so a couple other um, Cincinnati Reds to mention. How about Andrew Abbott? He's mm-hmm. left-handed pitcher. He's definitely going to factor in as well. And you know, you mentioned LED Blues. I want to I want to turn our attention to the Miami Marlins for a moment because I've been like from a distance impressed with Miami's ability to just hang in there, stay in there, stay in the stay close enough. What are they When we're recording this show, probably a game and a half back. Yeah. And you know, don't, don't count them out because they've proven that they can get on a roll. Listen, we can't close the book on the national league without at least mentioning the Los Angeles Dodgers. And not because we're being homers, but just because they've been so decimated. On their pitching staff, they've had no choice but to rely on guys that they maybe didn't even plan to bring up this year.
2: You know, um, they brought up a new guy last night. He got to the, the stadium at about seven o'clock. Pitched two innings, struck out three guys, didn't give up any hits. Never heard of the guy. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and, and and we're seeing more of that. So, you know, you talk about you know Ryan Pepio. Now he was going to be on the big league roster at the beginning of the season. Had the oblique injury missed way longer than anybody anticipated, has come back in the last month. And right now, in he's got a .086 ERA. He has pitched very effectively for him. Bobby Miller probably wasn't going to, I mean, he might have gotten a start here or there in the big leagues. He's been up now for a couple months, and they are heavily relying on him, and he's probably their healthiest and most reliable pitcher right now, especially with the question mark to Clayton Kershaw on his shoulder. More than any other team that's going into the playoffs, the Dodgers are going to have to rely on young young arms that they didn't count on having to rely on going into the playoffs.
2: That's a that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, we talked earlier before the show. The Braves they're winning twelve to 11, 9 to eight. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's tough to do consistently. Yes, they have a lot of offense, but the Dodgers the difference might be some of the young kids they're bringing up. Yeah, the well, young pitchers. Emmett Sheen, um, Gavin Stone. Michael Grove, they're all going
0: to. It goes on the, and on. It goes
1: on and on. That's five rookies in that have pitched in their starting rotation this year, and it might be even more coming yeah. to playoffs. Well, and then on the hitting side, James Outman. You know, I don't know that they
0: expected that he was going to be their everyday. Center fielder, he starts
2: every day now. Yeah, yeah
0: he's yeah. playing every day.
1: I mean, he's he's one of those guys where we knew he was, he just needed to get that chance to play every day. And yeah, he's had his struggles throughout this his rookie season, but I mean, you can tell in the future he's a kind of like a Cody Bellinger type player where he can explode and make some offense for that team. And also, he's pretty good defensively.
0: He's not near the defender that Cody. No, of course not. not, not But but
1: But Cody Bellinger is an amazing outfielder, and he can play first base too. He can do anything. But I mean,
0: first base is more natural position.
1: He started at first base. Yep.
0: All right. So uh, before we before we move on to to our next segment. In the American League. I mean, you mentioned Baltimore, uh, Bill. They, uh, they continue to impress. And what is it, Gunnar Henderson? <laughs> okay. I think He's he wins American back. League yeah. rookie of the year. Yeah. I don't think there's any question. But then Baltimore uh, continue. They have you know, young pitchers as well. The Houston Astros, they are making a difference. They'll have some young players that will also make a difference down the stretch and in the playoffs. I, don't, I can't remember a year. I, I guess this is where, where I'm going with this. I can't remember a year. That there were as many young players, rookie players, that were going to factor into the postseason as we're likely to see this year.
1: There yeah, you. I totally agree, and I just wanted to touch on the point of Josh Jung, who was by far the favorite to win AL Rookie of the Year until he got hurt, and he's coming back uh, next or this week on Friday or Thursday. I don't. I think it might be a little too late for him for to win Rookie of the Year, but I mean. He, ha- he had a phenomenal season. He was an all-star his first year in the big leagues. I think he was a starting third baseman for the all-star team for the AL this year. So he had a phenomenal season. Unfortunately, he broke his thumb, and he was on the injury list for a month and a half. So it kind of cut down his chances. And then you have to talk about uh, the guy from Boston. They have a couple rookies that are very good. Tristan Costas has finally started to turn it around, started to – find his power that we all knew he that he would have but the average is obviously not there and then Tanaka who was I mean came out from the world baseball classic we didn't know what we're gonna get from him coming over from Japan and he's been a phenomenal on-base guy he's hit some home runs here and there but I mean I, I to go on to your point this rookie class I've never seen impact players come up and just start being an impact player because usually you get that like resting period where they have to like adjust to the league. But even with the guy, Jason Dominguez who was on the Yankees right when he got called up first at bat hits a home run. And you're just like, who you who are these heard, guys? Yeah. Who are these guys? And it's just been a phenomenal season to see these rookie guys take a part of such a interesting season. Yeah. So. Well, and,
0: and figure it out because the one thing with rookies in baseball, you know I mean? They, they may, may come out and, doesn't matter, pitcher or hitter, and they do pretty well, you know, for a week or two, and then everybody figures them out, and then they go into a slump like what happened with James Outman at the beginning of the year. But we've seen this class of rookies go through that and adjust back, yeah. Adjust and then bounce back.
2: It's it's I think it's been really cool to see. They don't the minor leaguers, they don't stay in the minor leagues for three, four, five years the way they've they've done for a hundred years. If they're showing any promise They want to find out and they're bringing them up very quickly these days. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and bringing them up and staying up. I also want to make one more point. Yeah. So, also, so um, for this year, all the minor leaguers were so used to the pitch clock, which might factor in the stolen bases which you only have a certain amount of pick off. So I think what's really important about this is that these rookies have played in baseball for over a year now which, with these rule changes, and that really helped them. Great point. So I think that's really the difference maker when it comes to, oh, yeah, these rookies are able to steal a bunch of bases because this is the most stolen bases we've seen in a long time. and, mm-hmm. we, and It went
2: the, away for a long time. Yeah.
1: yeah, and now we're seeing like the pitch clock, People are able to adjust easier because they've seen it. You've seen that the rookies actually have been playing better than most of the guys that haven't been on the pitch clock. So it's just been an interesting year. It's a lot of change, but I'm really excited to see where baseball goes from here and see if these rookies are going to develop as well as they have this year. I mean, there's a bunch of rookies that could come up next year to make an impact, but it's just definitely been a fun season. Yeah,
2: it's been a great season for Major League Baseball. You know, and, and we we don't need that. We all like baseball, but a lot of people they're with the new rule changes. They're getting the fans back to the game. The new the pitch count, the stolen bases, um, the, the the games are shorter by 24 minutes a game. We've had some phenomenal results this year. Shohei Otani leads the league in home runs and triples. I don't think that's ever been done before. That's that's a very unusual stat. Ronald Acuna. Uh, it's just having a phenomenal year with Mookie Betts. It's just bringing people back to baseball, and I'm excited about it.
0: Absolutely, and and you know, and holding on even though football has started, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Before we get to our NFL conversation, though, let's 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 switch it up. It's time for our stump the young, and hopefully, Casey, you got a, you got a question, right?
1: Yeah, I do. I do.
0: All right. So so this segment, it's you know, we try to get one pass Bill each week and you know i think you made a little bit of a comeback last week did, did he I, I...
1: He's, he went 1 for a
0: 3 again okay all right so all right so so bill you're better than that we we, we
2: know that <laughs> i'm going to start studying I, I i can't recall everything the way i used to i'll be even better next week <laughs> absolutely all right it's time for our trivia segment it's time for Stop. Question.
1: <laughs> I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. All right, Casey, what you got? All right. So my question for today, who is the all-time leader in receptions in the NFL? And you get an extra point if you can name, that, like, the number, like the exact number.
2: Yeah, you know, that's that's a super easy question that I should have off the top of my head. Um I can't think of the one guy's I'm going to go with Jerry Rice.
1: Jerry Rice? Yes. Oh, man. I have to give you a... Yes!
2: <laughs> Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice. Okay, that, I'm feeling good about myself. And how many catches he had in his career... I'm gonna say one million, because <laughs> that's what it seemed like he was doing to the Rams every single time he played them. Uh, Ten catches for 150 yards every time they played the Rams.
1: So he had it was Jerry Rice, and he had 1549. Mm. Wow, Incredible. that's a big number. If you can, you name the number two. He's a Cardinal.
2: Um. Yeah, Larry Fitzgerald. Yep. Yeah. Probably be okay.
1: Very good. All right. Good job, Bill. Yay. All
0: right, all right. So I, I got another softball. Okay. Okay, so this is this is like a hanging curveball. All right. Uh, who is the only player to win the Super Bowl with three different teams?
2: The defensive lineman?
0: He's a defensive guy, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh I, I I'm wondering God, I can't think of his first name. Uh Haley. No, but no, that, that
0: was a really, really good guess because he won one with San Francisco and one with, with Dallas. Uh, Dallas. No, Matt Millen. Oh, I didn't give you. I didn't let you get the sound effect in. Yeah, we don't Hold need on.
2: that sound effect. Oh, That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Price is right. <laughs> anyway, Matt Millen, he won with the Oakland L.A. Raiders uh, two times. He won with San Francisco and then with Washington.
2: I, I don't think I knew that matt millen had a pretty long career for his playing ability i think yeah. but, uh,
0: <laughs> good questions guys but, but he, he played longer was <laughs> really good he played longer than his skill yeah and he and, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, and seriously and you know four super Bowls out know, too with the Raiders, and pretty
1: impressive. He
2: was a GM there. for somebody too, and that didn't go well over a few years. <laughs>
1: he's went in there as like I've won four Super Bowls. I should be a great GM. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I you definitely did, did not happen. <laughs> no, not at all. All
0: right, uh, that's a great segue into the National Football League. And listen, we we've got weeks to get our predictions in and and all of that. I just want to turn back to Week One for. For a little bit, because I I think all of us had an idea of what we thought, you know, the season would look like from that one week perspective, and there were surprises in, in week one. So, Casey, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah. So I spent my Sunday watching all the football games, and that's what I did. I did it with my friends, and this was a very surprising week for the Bengals. And when I say The Browns, we thought were going to be a decent team. We didn't know what we were going to get out of Deshaun Watson. He played pretty well for coming back and playing. I mean, he played a couple games last year, but he didn't play the full season. This is his first full season back. Uh, but Deshaun Watson played very well. Do I agree with what he's done in this past? Of course, no. But I mean, the Browns looked pretty good out there. They held the Bengals to only three points. Jamar Chase did not get started like we thought. They like the Bengals. Joe Burrow just got paid the richest contract for a quarterback in NFL history, and he drops that. And I think that was the biggest surprise. We thought, I thought we, he was going to come out with a better result than what happened. So the Bengals were definitely a. One of the bigger surprises for me for sure.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh they got blown out by the 49ers. And are they that bad or the Niners that good? That was really surprising. And we'll jump to the Packers. Who needs Aaron Rodgers in the first game without the future Hall of Famer? They route the Bears, but they usually do that anyway. So that's that's not a big shocker. The Cowboys destroy the Giants 40 to nothing. Not a good way to start the season for the G-men. Dallas defense looked like the '85 Bears. They completely humiliated the hapless Giants. And I, I'm I'm going to go out on the limb. I mean, this will change week to week. After week one, it looks like Niners Cowboys play for the NFC Championship. Whoa. Wow. that's hard. That's hard.
0: <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. All right. Listen, listen. I, I can't. I, I can't be mad at you for that. I'm, I'm just surprised that you said it. Out loud. I mean, after week one, Cowboys
2: sure. not my favorite team, but they they <laughs> you know? they were like a high school team against a college team. <laughs> oh my goodness! Against the Giants, yeah.
0: the Giants were a mess. They, they, were. they were they were an absolute mess in that first game. But but you know, I, I think a bigger surprise to me than the lopsided Cowboys Giants score. Listen, they were they were on the wrong side on a night where the wheels came off, and then the you it, and. Then the doors fell off, and it was just, it was just one of those days. It ugly. That That happens in sports. I think the bigger surprise for me was the Buffalo Bills against the Jets, and especially after what happened to the Jets team—that four games, four plays into the game, you lose your hope for the season. Okay, uh, their hope was resting on Aaron Rodgers to come in. To be a significant piece of an elite defense, a team that really is solid everywhere and just needed a guy that wasn't going to lose the game for you, okay? Against a Buffalo Bills team that has been the best in the AFC East for the last three years, right? Four plays into it, you lose that. And you felt all of the energy just come out of that stadium when that happened. You had, like the hope of every New York Jets fan was just destroyed. And in that environment, Josh Allen plays one of the worst games of his career. Particularly, I know it's only one game. I know it's the beginning of the season and Buffalo's going to be fine. But that response in that situation, you know, the the three interceptions and a fumble, he played terrible and some of those throws were just like what
1: what are you doing? What, what are, what,
0: there, there were what are you doing moments for a guy who is an all pro level quarterback. I did not expect that. After the injury, I really thought that Buffalo would get control of the game. When it was 13 to what? 13 to three, I'm like, this is going to be a route. I almost text you, like, all right, this thing is over. And because of the mistakes that he made, he let the Jets hang around with an elite defense. And I know defense played great and then ended up losing the game. That probably surprised me. There were other surprises, but just the lack of response. They should have beaten the Jets that night by two or three touchdowns. Instead, they end up losing.
2: Well, they will next time. And (laughs) I I tell you, I I love Josh Allen. I think he had a bad game. The big point to that is they had four turnovers, and they lost to a punt return in overtime. You know, they they should have been blown out as well when he has a horrible game like that. Josh Allen reminds me of Brett Favre. He just he goes for it every single time and he throws a lot of interceptions, but he, along with Patrick Mahomes, is the only two quarterbacks in the league that have thrown for thirty touchdown passes and four thousand yards in a season the last three years. My buddy is from Buffalo and he's struggling with him. I go, I'll take him. I think <laughs> yeah. Josh Allen's still a very good quarterback, but it's kind of hard to rein him in. You know that he's used to going for it, and he sacrifices his body every single time. Very elite player, and I, I, the Bills will be okay. Just like Kansas City lost last week, they're going to be okay too.
1: Yeah, another team that I wanted to kind of talk about was the Vikings too, losing to the Buccaneers. We coming to the season, we thought the Buccaneers were going to be probably last in that division or close to it they didn't look too bad out there. They still have their wide receiving core with Chris Godwin and uh, Mike Evans, and they play pretty well. And Baker Mayfield is talking trash and having fun out there. So, I mean, to go from a Vikings team, which has its struggles of its own, and Justin Jefferson, obviously the best wide receiver in the game, I mean, and they just signed TJ Hawkinson to this big contract, and they come out and do this against a Buccaneers team that should have been demolished after losing Tom Brady and not having a quarterback but they pulled it out.
2: Baker Mayfield will have a big game like this and then he'll fall off the planet next week but he's he's one of those irritating guys that gets under your skin and he's always doing something stupid when he planted the Oklahoma flag mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of the field against gosh was it Alabama or somebody <laughs> that didn't go well for him but uh that was a big shock. Yeah. Tampa Bay beating the, the Vikings.
0: I I guess you know, I mean, it was. I suppose there was an element of surprise in me, but you know, big shock? Uh, probably, probably not. I, I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel that way about it. I do want to go to your your Steeler game, though. You now, I thought the Steelers could win that game outright. Uh, obviously, I was so far wrong on that. Now, now nobody in the room agreed with me, and now I understood why. I didn't expect for the Steelers to get beat the way they did by. And and listen, the 49ers... That's an elite defense there, too. But my question was whether or not Brock Purdy would come back and and, and be what we saw last year in, in the second year with you know everybody in the league maybe figuring him out. He didn't miss he, a beat. He looked just fine, didn't he? He looked, he looked, fine. looked just fine. Yeah. So I, I guess I should have expected that because he didn't do anything last year when he was healthy to cause me to think that he couldn't. It just second year for quarterbacks can be tough, and – Man, he and it still might end up that way, but he sure did look
2: good. The, well, Pickett the, was running you know, for his life, yeah. from Pittsburgh the whole game. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to move the ball when it seems like the other team has fifteen guys on the field. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt.
0: What about some of the other quarterbacks? You know, uh, the the rookie quarterbacks. I mean, did, did you guys? Yeah, you any, know, have, I, you have any thoughts on that?
2: I, I actually, I do. Um, a, a good friend who does wager on, on the football game said. I bet against all three top rookie quarterbacks. I go, that's brilliant. <laughs> he, he, he did, he did the right thing and he won. Um, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud and the uh, Baltimore, not Baltimore, the, um, Colts, Indiana Colts quarterback. They all struggled and it's not shocker. Rookie quarterbacks struggle. That's part of the league. Aikman was and 11 his first year. Joe Montana was two and six, his first two years in the league. Mm-hmm. You don't, normally just walk in and take over an NFL franchise and be a, a, a top echelon quarterback right at the beginning? No, you don't.
0: Uh, no, no, you don't. So I, I wasn't that surprised that the rookies, you know, some of them, i not going to say struggled. They just played like rookies play, you know, in, in that opening game.
2: I think some of them are going to be fine. Yeah, It's hard not to overreact. Yeah, You made a great point one game. It, it, there's a lot of football left.
1: Well, my crunch time, we'll talk about one of those rookie quarterbacks. So. Oh, so,
0: all right. We don't want to steal your thunder. Okay. <laughs> all right, um, college football, real quick, b- before we get to our Sports Through the Ages segment. Listen, I, I, all of us, I mean, we were paying attention on, on Saturday, right? Texas, Alabama, I mean, we waited all day long, right, for, for that game to be played. Like, I don't know about you, but I kind of planned – my college football afternoon around the matchup of the day and was super excited going into that game. And then Texas happened, okay? <laughs> and again, maybe we shouldn't have underestimated. I think we talked on this show and certainly on our Friday show that they had played them very well last year, and but yet everyone that I talked to around that game came out of it like, wow, Texas. Like like we were surprised, but I kind of get the feeling that maybe we shouldn't have been.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with that. I I feel like Texas coming into this game, we knew they were gonna be a good football team, but I mean, when you I think it's a just going against an Alabama, you
2: know? In Alabama.
1: In Alabama. It's like the same thing. Like when you play Georgia, you know what you're gonna get. So I think that's why everybody thought, oh, maybe Alabama has a chance in this game. And especially being at home, I mean, they should have had, they should have probably won that game, but Texas played very well. And you can't discount Texas at all. They're going to be a powerhouse. They switched rankings with Alabama in the, the rankings now. I think they're number three or number four. And Alabama went down to 11 or 12. So it's going to be an interesting season to see what Alabama does after this game and how they bounce back from it, and even if they do bounce back.
2: But Alabama looked flat. They, I, I don't think I've ever said those words before. And they're not a top 10 team right now. And when was the last time that happened? You know, I, I think Texas played very well. I'm still going to hold judgment until I see a couple more games. But this was not your typical Alabama football team that we are accustomed to.
0: The number that most sticks out to me in that game, and this is a number that absolutely changes games because it represents the killing of drives. Alabama in that game was only 5 of 14 on third down. That's something that they have done very well over the years. Does that does that tell us that, you know, the Texas defense was that good? And, yeah, they did swap spot Texas number four, Alabama number 10, at least with what I'm looking at. But third down efficiency at 5 of 14, and it wasn't that Alabama was great. They were 7 of 18. But, you know, just something that we didn't expect. And, and listen, it was – what a 34-24 game! It didn't feel like it was that close. Yeah, <laughs> it, no, it really didn't. <laughs> you know, it really didn't. It didn't feel like it was that close. All right, uh, Colorado Buffaloes, Bill. This is for you.
2: Um right. So, it's so nice. after
0: after a week, you yeah. were like, so we're two weeks in now.
2: Okay, I, I think if if this is Nebraska of yesteryear. I think you have a strong point, and I'm going to hold judgment on Colorado. They've got a couple really tough games. They have to go to Oregon at the end of the month, and then they play SC the next week back-to-back games. After that, I'll jump on the bandwagon or I'll say I was right.
1: I was right? Or what if you have to say you were wrong?
2: I, I can do that. I, I, <laughs> I, I have no problem saying I made a mistake, I was wrong. But they sh- it's good for college football. You know, when you get these teams, actually when Texas has been down for a few years, Colorado, Miami of Florida played really well last week. I like it when the old-time schools jump in there and have big games against the, the former powerhouses of college football.
1: Yeah, so for me, I, I think the difference when you have a coach like Deion Sanders, they want to fight for him. And you can tell in the locker room, you can tell in press conferences, you can tell whenever he talks to his players, they have that look in that eye, in their eyes that I will do anything for this man. You don't get a lot of that for a lot of coaches. So I think that's what's really the difference. I mean, obviously going into this year, you have so many transfers and so many things, but Dion basically handpicked every single player and said, this guy will fight for me. And we'll make a good season out of it. and I think it's coming to fruition for them
2: that, that's a great point, Casey. You know Dion is what forty five maybe I don't know how old he is. Sabin's almost seventy. H- how does he relate to the young guys? I, i'm sixty five and I struggle with the young a lot of the young people today. So maybe that's a great point that they'll go to battle for him like they wouldn't for another coach.
0: I, I think that that's a a valid point to a degree, but most coaches will tell you the the older coaches is like, these kids keep me young and, and whether or not they're in their sixties or whatever, they, these are, these are older men, mature men with a young spirit that are around young people all the time. And they, they do relate, you
2: know, it, 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 they're not typical 65, 70 year
0: seventy-year-old guys. They're, they're not that's us, good point man. They're, they're, they're not us. Okay, it's like we're we're at that get off my lawn <laughs> stage in life. And it's like that's okay. That's all right, son. You go play. Okay, <laughs> you know. I mean, they still love the sound of young people's activities. Do, do you see what I'm saying? They they love to be around them. They love the energy that they get from them. So yeah, old. Old people can still relate to young people if they choose to, and these coaches, I, I believe they do a they do a great job. And I mean, yeah, there is a there is a time to where maybe they outlive you know their their ability to connect. But I, Nick Saban seems to be doing just fine still. To I, I
2: got me. a quick point on that as well. I was talking to the golf pro at Aspen Valley the other day, who played professional football for the Patriots. He was a punter. After a really good career at Purdue, and he said there's a company out there that teaches coaches how to relate to the players. Because some players you can kick them in the butt or scream at them and it motivates them. Other players you have to you have to be a little softer. So they do they make them take a test, and so they know how to coach them up better. I've never yeah, heard of that before. Pretty interesting. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You mentioned that he was an NFL punter. All right, so com- makes sense. Com- well, no, com- <laughs> <Not again>. no <laughs> <laughs> completely off topic. <laughs> but I've always thought that like the best job in sports. Now, of course, everybody wants to be the quarterback or whatever, be the running back, the the the, the glamour guy. Those guys get hurt. If you can somehow train your kid to be an NFL kicker, a poker?
2: no, not a kicker, a punter.
1: That's <laughs> There's it. There's Way too just much pressure punter. on the kickers. No,
2: no. <laughs> that's, that's a hard, and you can't fix it. If you miss it, you have to go back on the sidelines, and everyone's staring at you. No, a punter, you just punt the ball and go back and sit on the bench, and you're all good. you
0: <laughs> earn your seven or eight hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Really I would don't? take it. It's like what a job. Sign I, me up right now. Uh, sign me up right now. All right. Anyway, let's um, let's let's turn our attention and and thank you guys for. Uh, The NFL talk, the the college football talk, I'm still – I'm waiting to see on Colorado. I did want to give you one stat. They are averaging almost 41 points a game right now. That's probably not going to continue. But any team that plays them, you're going to have to put some points on the board. Now, I don't know if they can stop anybody, but they're going to have to put some points on the board.
2: His son is just destroying it, playing very well. And I I, I just want to throw in real quick – you see, USC finally played some defense last week, and they routed Stanford. They were up 49-3 to at half and played a lot of the subs in the second half. So, But there's a young man, a freshman, Zachariah Branch, from Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas. This kid is electric, and I'm going to call it right now that he's going to win a Heisman Trophy. This kid is unbelievable. If you watch him, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Caleb Williams, the SC quarterback, he's got 12 touchdown passes this year. In three games, no interceptions, he could win the Heisman again. That guy's fantastic. Um, and I, I talked about this before the show. He'll never play for the Arizona Cardinals.
0: <laughs> <You're> un- <laughs> more more to come on that. More to come on that. You are on record. All right, thank you, guys. Listen, that's uh, one of our favorite segments of this show. We take a walk down memory lane. It, we do this Sports for the Ages segment, and it really is there to – bring about memories of, you know, events, athletes, a time, where, where, where were you when, uh, when certain things happen. And uh, I got the privilege this week of our Sports Through the Ages segment. This week's Sports Through the Ages focuses on the sweet science of boxing. Now, those of us old enough to remember the great fights and fighters of the 70s, like Ali and Frazier and Foreman, or even the 80s, with Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler, Roberto Duran, and Tommy Hearns, We're longing in the 1990s for a superstar. That wasn't Mike Tyson. And in the shadow of all those great fighters emerged a soft-spoken combatant from East Los Angeles named Oscar De La Hoya. De La Hoya was born on February 4th in 1973, as mentioned, in East Los Angeles. From humble beginnings, he emerged as this shining star in the boxing world from a very young age. His journey into the fight ring is a testament to the American dream. It's a story of talent, hard work and perseverance. Oscar began boxing at the early age of six years old, and as a child, he would go to the Pico Rivera Sports Arena with his father and older brother, Joel. His hero, Sugar Ray Leonard, was a gold medalist in the 1976 Summer Olympics and became a celebrity after the Games, and De De La Hoya really wanted to be kind of like him. So at 15, he won the National Junior Olympic 119-pound championship, then he added the 125-pound title a year later. He then won the National Golden Gloves Award in the 125-pound division in 1990, becoming the youngest U.S. boxer at the Goodwill Games that year, and of course, he won a gold medal. De La Hoya's mother had passed away of breast cancer a few months earlier in October of 1990, and she had expressed the hope that her son would one day become an Olympic gold medalist. His ambition to fulfill the dying wish of his mother was reported to the media. And you know how the media is. They dubbed him... The Golden Boy, and that title stuck with him for the rest of his career. De La Jolla's rise to fame was meteoric. He made his professional debut in 1992 after honoring his mother's dying wish by winning the gold medal in the lightweight division at the Barcelona Olympics, capturing the hearts of boxing enthusiasts worldwide. The Golden Boy wasn't just a catchy nickname. It was a reflection of De La Hoya's charisma and good looks that transcended the sport, frankly. But beyond the glitz and glamour, he was a fierce competitor and an exceptionally skilled boxer. Throughout his career, De La Hoya conquered 6 different weight classes, an accomplishment that solidified his status as one of the greatest pound-for-pound fighters in history. His versatility and adaptability were unparalleled, making him a true force in the ring. In fact, Oscar De La Hoya defeated Rafael Ruelas in less than five minutes to capture the International Boxing Federation lightweight crown and improve his overall record to 18-0 after a hard victory over John Molina in February of 1995. Now, despite Oscar De La Hoya's reputation as the Golden Boy, some people thought he was soft, they questioned if he had faced serious enough competition. So, in June of 1996, De La Hoya met his toughest test in his boxing career to that point, Julio Cesar Chavez, who was a legend, and experienced and well-known Mexican boxer who was also the World Boxing Council light balterweight champion. Oscar De La Hoya's bouts were more than just fights. They were spectacular events. His duels with Julio Cesar Chavez, Pernell Whitaker, and Shane Mosley became legendary battles that kept fans on the edge of their seats. But you know what? Perhaps one of the most defining moments of De La Hoya's career came in 2002. He was an aging fighter by then, and he faced off against fierce rival Fernando Vargas. That bout was billed as bad blood, and it showcased De La Hoya's resilience and determination. Remember before the fight, many experts believed that Vargas was too young and too strong for De La Hoya, and some even feared that the Golden Boy could be badly hurt in this fight. But De La Hoya prevailed by knocking out Vargas, which earned him respect and admiration from fans and critics alike. I remember after the fight, De La Hoya told HBO commentator Larry Merchant, when asked what had fueled such a great effort, De La Hoya in his soft-spoken voice said, He disrespected me, Larry, and I didn't like that. Beyond his exploits inside the ring, De La Hoya played a pivotal role in the promotion and growth of the sport. He founded Golden Boy Promotions, which has become a powerhouse in the boxing industry, fostering the careers of numerous fighters and promoting some of the biggest events in boxing history. As we wrap up this tribute to Oscar De La Hoya's boxing career, let's remember the golden boy for his incredible talent, his tenacity, and the unforgettable moments he shared with fans around the world. His story is a testament to the power of determination and the pursuit of excellence. Former lightweight, former super lightweight, former
2: two-time welterweight, former two-time junior middleweight, and former middleweight champion of the world, the Golden Boy, from East LA, Boston. Wow, very good, Jeff. You know, I haven't thought of Oscar De La Hoya for years. Back when boxing was big, he was the man. He was the man, and
0: so one one of the events, and and I had mentioned this. So he was getting ready to fight Pernell Whitaker, right? And Pernell Whitaker trained in in Chandler at that time, and I would go out there every day after my show, and there'd be no one there, you know. So I had a chance to hang out with Sweet Pea and Lou Duva and Mark Brunel and all week. Brunel Whitaker say like, this is what I'm going to do to Oscar De La Hoya. Well, you know, I'm, I'm there at training camp. I, I didn't believe it. Oscar was, was the man. So I go to the fight in Vegas. I get a press pass. And I'm with a friend of mine, and we go to the weigh-in. And we're kind of looking around like, where's Oscar De La Hoya? I'm like, well, there he is. And there was this perception, remember, that, you know, he's just a pretty boy. You know, was, even though he had won the fight with Julio Cesar Chavez, people still believe that. That night at the weigh-in, at Caesar's Palace, looking in that guy's face as he was in his "I'm ready to fight" mode, he looked like a completely different. There was no smile. He looked like a killer, <laughs> an an absolute assassin. Like even with his small stature, you would not want to see that guy that intensity in a dark alley. And it just it taught me something about fighters in general and and and, and athletes how they they change, you know, when it's when it's showtime, when it's, when it's game time. You know, they go from a relatively small, soft-spoken, smiley guy to someone who would just as soon kill you as lose to you. And Oscar De La Hoya had that look that night.
2: Those boxers, it's not tennis or basketball <laughs> you're gonna fight somebody you know, it's a whole whole, complete different mantra I got a quick story uh we're playing golf in Southern California we're on the first tee and we walk off and getting in the cart and my brother-in-law Steve Gurley goes that's Oscar De La Hoya he's right behind us he's gonna <laughs> tee off next so we went and said hello he shook our hands and he went in his bag took out a picture of himself and signed it for us and re- really really nice young man do you still have that picture I do not Oh, Steve has his.
0: <laughs> Steve has, <laughs> Steve has, has his. his. Right. Yeah, and, and Casey, you're you're really a little young to appreciate like the history of, of the sweet science of boxing. I mean, I know it's it's pretty much all about the MMA now. But man, those were those were great moments. And those pay-per-view events I, when I was doing that, Bill, I thought of you. I'm like, I bet Oscar De La Hoya won Bill Unkovich a lot of money. <laughs>
2: the, 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 this is before pay-per-view. You, you had to go to the bowling alley and had like close circuit or something. <laughs> yeah. You pay 20 bucks and you watch the fight, but boxing was huge and people don't understand. It wasn't just boxing. It was an event. It was a huge deal back in the seventies. Yeah,
0: ab- absolutely. 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, and then, you know, things started to change with the huge pay-per-view dollars and, and whatnot. But man, Oscar De La Hoya was, was a terrific fight. He, he never ducked anybody. That was the thing. You know, he, he, he would take on all comers. He would go up and wait, and even those fights where there was a chance he could not only lose his his status, his fame, or even get hurt. Hey, if they would if they would fight him, he'd ink ink the deal. So he will be great. Great awesome. job.
2: Very interesting, Jeff.
0: All right, good stuff. Didn't know we were going to be talking about boxing today, did you?
1: <laughs> I did actually. Well,
0: we, well, yeah. Well, Casey actually did. So he he does the production stuff on that. Great job, Casey. All right. Uh, Listen, let's, uh, let's make some money. Shall oh, and by we? the way, if you have a gambling problem, <laughs> be sure that you call someone. Gambling is it can be a very serious addiction. If you have any sort of problem at all, make sure that you call the gambling hotline. We want to give that disclaimer because we are certainly not uh, trying to influence or condone someone who might have a problem with gambling. So if you do a hey, gamble responsibly, and, and be careful and call someone. All right, that being said, it's time for Betting with Bill.
2: <laughs> Bill's best bets of the week. I, I want this se- segment to be called Betting with Flagstaff Bill because that's what my buddy calls me when he goes, who's going to win? I, give me some games to bet. He calls me Flagstaff Bill. I like that. But uh, I'm going to start with uh, one of the local Arizona teams, U of A. They're half point favorites this week against UTEP. UTEP is one of the worst teams in college football. Um, they, you, they just got hammered by another horrible team, Northwestern, who's had so many problems. Lay the points, Arizona, you don't get to say that very often. They're going to blow out this team. It's a, it's, it's going to be a big thing for their program. Another college game. It's a lot of points. And I know people kind of flip out about that Florida state. Uh, they won their first two games by a combined score of 111 to 37. Um, it's just, they're, they, they haven't been good for a while. I Actually, I have them picked to go to the college football's Final Four. Boston College is not a very good team. Florida State wants to get to the Final Four. They'll run the score up. Uh, the third game is Duke. Uh, they're minus 18 versus another one of those bad teams. And if you're seeing a trend here, I like to bet against bad teams. Mm. That's, that's the key here. Northwestern got their only win of the year that they're going to get this year last week against UTEP. Duke's going to kill them this week. This could be Duke's best team in the history of their school. They're led by the quarterback Riley Leonard. Um, they, they're they going to get off fast. Duke routes on the road. That's, that's my college picks. I got a couple pro picks this week. Tampa Bay, which we were talking about earlier with Baker Mayfield. The Bears um, just got, they looked abysmal last week versus Green Bay. Uh, but they usually do. They look lost, and now they have to go to Tampa Bay, who's surprised and some people say shocked the Vikings in Minnesota. Tampa Bay only gave up 41 yards rushing last week, and now they're playing the Bears, who don't have much of a running game. I think Tampa Bay wins minus three at home. The One more game, uh, the Green Bay minus one versus the Falcons. The Falcons gave up 154 yards rushing in week one. The Packers, probably the best part of their offense is the run game, one of the best in the week. In the league, I think they're going to gash the Falcons. Aaron Jones tweaked his hamstring. I have information, but I heard he's, he should be a go. If not, AJ Dillon. He's just a big tank running back. Um, he'll 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 take care of business. Who needs Aaron Rodgers for the Packers? Now, the last game, Detroit minus six versus Seattle. My gosh, the the lowly Rams put thirty on the Seahawks in Seattle, and the Lions, led by their head coach Dan Campbell licking his chops after beating the Chiefs in Kansas City. I think um, Detroit is the NFL's it team right now. The The possibilities are endless. I actually have them picked to win the division, and I think they win here easily this week. Okay, good job. Betting with Bill. There you have it. Write Betting it down. Write it down. All right, let's uh, go.
0: And uh, I think I'm going to be on those games with you, Bill. All right, we're going to bring things back local this next segment. Uh, we like to keep it right here. It's called Sports Around the Mountain. We look at local high school and, of course, NAU College here in Coconino County around the Flagstaff area. And here we go with Dave.
3: And we're starting out this week's Around the Mountain report with the NAU Lumberjacks. They trailed 13-3 at halftime, but North Dakota put together a couple of long-pounding drives to pull away for a 37-22 win last Saturday in Grand Forks. NU had 445 yards of total offense and led most of the stat categories, but North Dakota had the ball for about nine more minutes than NU. Head coach Chris Ball says not getting the ball in the end zone when they had chances, ending up being a killer in the game.
2: You know, we, we moved the ball, had a lot of yardage on offense, but just couldn't put it in the end zone. And I think uh, at the end of the day, that it was probably the defining
3: moment. NU quarterback Kai Milner had his best game as a lumberjack going 20 for 33 for 258 yards and two touchdowns. It was also NU's leading rusher with 14 carries. For 83 yards of a touchdown to lead the Lumberjacks. Running back Devon Starling added 78 yards on 15 carries of the loss. Any who falls 0 2 on the year and he'll take on the Utah Tech Trailblazers in the Lumberjacks home opener Saturday. Utah Tech is also 0 2 on the season, where both losses were to two big sky schools, ranked in the top 15 in Montana on the road 63 20 and Montana at home 43 13. The Trailblazers are primarily a passing team and haven't run the ball particularly well so far this season. The Lumberjack defense will have to be ready come Saturday. The two schools have only met once before, and that was in 2006 in the Sky Dome, where NU won 66-14 when Utah Tech was known as Dixie State. Turning to the high schools, is 2-0 coming off two big wins, including a 42-3 win over Payson on homecoming night at Cromer Stadium. The Panthers were led by senior Bridger French, who started the game at quarterback and switched to running back after junior Colton Buckingham came into the game to make his season debut. But it was French who led the way with 129 yards rushing and four touchdowns on just nine carries. Buckingham was 11 of 16 for 134 yards and two touchdowns. Coconino outgained Payson 3 to 133 yards to 42 in the game. Coconino has held their first two opponents to negative rushing yards. The Panthers have a big game this week against 3-0 Arcadia and Phoenix. Then they'll head back down I-17 next Friday to Santan Valley to take on the Broncos to post some view. The Flagstaff Eagles are searching for their first win. They're 0-3 on the season. They lost for the third time in three seasons to the Windsor Bulldogs this past week this year on homecoming 14 to 13. The Eagles will also head to the Valley for two weeks, starting first a new varsity program, Desert Sunrise. That's at Maricopa. The following week, they will be in the West Valley to take on Copper Canyon. That's the Around the Mountain report for this week. Back to you guys.
0: All right, Dave, thank you very much for that report. And of course, with NAU playing their their home opener. Uh, this coming Saturday, running uh, of the freshmen, running of the
2: freshman is happening. And if you <laughs> haven't, haven't seen there, that, right? that's one of the coolest things of all time. Yeah. yeah. NAU, the freshmen all run on the football field. It's very, very cool.
0: Well, I will be there for that, Bill. And uh, if you're not doing anything Saturday, come on by. It should be fun. All right. Our final segment is called crunch time. Each of us get around a minute to get something off our chest or pay a tribute to something or just whatever. There's, there's really no structure for this. But it's something that we like to do to close things out each week. And Casey, I think I'm going to start with you today.
1: All right. So we mentioned it a little bit earlier about the NFL rookie quarterbacks and I watched that Jaguars versus Colts game, and honestly, I was pretty impressed by Anthony Richardson. I think that he is going to have a long, healthy career. I know it's a long shot because of how big he is, but the way he bounced off defenders, he made bigger defenders look like little guys. He also can throw off the run, which is crazy. And I was watching every single throw he did just to see, what is this guy made of? Every single throw, off balance or not, perfect spirals. Every single throw. So I'm, I'm really high on Anthony Richardson, and I think he will be the best rookie quarterback this year.
0: Okay, and before we go to you, Bill, he's got, I got what you said. Like the, the one thing you said in that crunch time is he was bouncing off of bigger guys. If he wants to have a long career, he needs to stop bouncing off of bigger <laughs> Did guys. Did you see
2: him run okay. up the middle and get whacked <laughs> by somebody? And it looked really bad for a second. And he's a big man, but... The quarterbacks can't be running up the middle in the NFL.
0: <laughs> Absolutely not.
2: It Bill, was one play. It
0: was one, it was one play. Right? It
2: was one game. It was one game. <laughs> yeah, it was one game. <laughs> Bill, you want to go next? Yeah, I, I, I'm this week, I, I'm going with college football. I think college football is the best sport in the world and out there. What other sports sell out sixty 000 to 120,000 seat stadiums every single week? Everybody's involved. The alumni, the administration, the cheerleaders, the fans. College football's got it all. And in the, and for all, it lasts almost five months and, and all the games are on TV now. Um, you can now bet legally, you can bet on every game. The entire school gets behind the, behind the teams. their hats and shirts and jerseys and sweatshirts. College Game day is the most popular sports show on television. I love that show. And all the revenue generated from football pays for all, a lot of the non-revenue generating sports for all the men and women's sports at these universities. So if you ever get a chance to attend a big-time SEC, Big Ten, Big 12 game, you won't be disappointed. It's not just about football. It's an event in itself, not just a game. And it's an all-day party. Students, the university, the entire team gets behind these huge football games. Do yourself a favor and try to attend a game or two. It's really worth it. All right, very cool. You know, good job, Bill. I agree. It
1: is an event. What? What? Nothing. I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut. Okay. Well, you, well, you have a look on your face though. You know? <laughs> I was trying not to like, but I was biting my tongue that whole time because, yeah, it's it's big in America. Well, well, that's where we well, live. is so, that where we are? I'm just saying, like, soccer is the most popular sport in the world.
2: Absolutely. I I, I understand that. I don't agree with it, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I agree it is the most popular, but just we weren't raised with it, so it's not important to us. But I know soccer is huge, so right. I'm not discounting it.
1: Right. <laughs> Biting
0: my tongue. Casey, Casey, these are going to be those struggle moments for, oh, for Casey, you know. <laughs> football, it's not even really football. Let me tell you, I'll tell you what football is. Football is soccer.
2: No, it's not, Casey. Not in America. It's not. All right.
0: Whatever. So I, I
2: got an idea for a segment for next week. Yeah, let's pick the final four for college football, and we could change it every week. It Could just be a minute. Everybody gets <laughs> twenty seconds, and because I've got four solid teams, but it'd be really fun to see how we come at it from different angles. You know what? I'm
0: in. Okay, right. I'm in. Casey's in too. I uh, guess. All, all right. So we all we all saw what happened. So my crunch time goes back to Monday night. We saw what happened with Aaron Rodgers, right? So now, the NFL Players Association, I'm going to call it NFLPA versus artificial turf. I don't know what they're going to be able to do, but the unforgiving nature of turf compounds the grind on the body that players already bear from playing a contact sport. So check it out. A bit of physics. Professional football players put extremely high levels of force and rotation onto the playing surface itself. Grass, however, will eventually give, which often releases the cleat prior to reaching an injurious load. On synthetic surfaces, there's less give, meaning that their feet, ankles, knees absorb the force, which makes injury more likely. Couple of numbers. Data supports that you know exactly what the players are saying. Artificial turf is significantly harder on the body than grass, and based on injury data collected from 2012 to 2018, not only was the contact injury rate for lower extremities higher during practices and games held on artificial turf, but NFL players consistently experienced a much higher rate of non-contact lower extremity injuries on turf compared to natural surfaces. Specifically, players have a 28% higher rate of non-contact lower extremity injuries when playing on turf. And of those non-contact injuries, players have a 32% higher rate of non-contact knee injuries on turf and a staggering 69% higher rate of non-contact foot ankle injuries on turf compared to To grass. So, until a product is developed that satisfies engineering specifications, we must take steps to protect players from unsafe field surfaces. And in short, NFL clubs should proactively change all field surfaces to natural grass. I totally
1: agree.
2: That's that's a great call. You know, non contact injuries, the wide receivers, they're not used. Excuse me. They are used to just running patterns. Now they just step wrong and and their knee goes out. It's just unbelievable. That didn't used to happen back in the old days with the regular grass. And I'm anxious to see what happens with that, Jeff. Absolutely. Don't know
0: that it will actually happen. All right. We've got one more. We'll close out with Dave's weekly rant.
1: Let's see if this one works.
3: (laughs) Do you believe? Coach Prime, I'm in. I believe. After wins on the road against TCU and a dominant home win against Nebraska this past week, I'm in. I believe. I believe the Buffaloes could do some damage in the Pad 12 and knock off a big dog or two. Someone else on this podcast isn't there yet. Bill? I, I want to give Dion his due
2: credit due. He's he's changed the program.
3: Do you believe in that? Huh?
2: They won one game last year. If they go Seven and four, seven and five this year? Oh, no. Come on. That's a huge success. They got to go to Oregon. They have to
3: play SC. I just don't want to get ahead of ourselves. You don't believe. You don't believe. Next question. Is Colorado good enough to win Eugene? Maybe. At home against USC? I think definitely. I think they're easily a top three team in the Pac 12. Oh, no. Oh, no. The Colorado Buffaloes are must see now. They are that exciting and that much fun. They will roll over their interstate rival, Colorado State, this week. And then it sets up that trip to Oregon. Then we'll see who's on board. I just wanted to be on before everyone else gets a prime seat.
0: All right. Thank you, Dave. That's going to do it for this week. For Casey Everett, Dave Zorn, and Bill Lunkovich, I'm Jeff Kennedy. Thanks for listening. And remember, national security is not at stake, and we're not solving the world's problems. We're just talking sports.
2: That's all it is. Now, what are you going to do? Good
0: morning. Morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon wherever you may be.